Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome back to Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. It's episode 40. We're in the 40s, can you really believe it? I can't, but yet here we are, because that's how numbers and time works. Bloody facts for you. Uh, How you been? You had a good week? You have been well? I hope so. Good to hear it. You sound in good spirits. You look great keep it up you um we're back on track this week we took a little detour last week to um skip to 2021 talk willie's wonderland with harry stang um had a lot of fun that episode where we're sort of back on track we're back on the journey to true cage nirvana we skipped ahead a few stops now we're back on the map where we should be we're back in 2003 it's cage's only film of 2003 it's matchstick men um great episode you got coming up great episode um i am joined by the uh comedian stuart laws who very kindly uh gave up some of his time to talk all about the uh the film with me uh stuart laws you may have seen him from various viral twitter threads um the most notable one of uh, his impression of Michael Caine trying to get the take of him saying the word never correctly in the Christopher Nolan Batman films. Uh, very, very funny. It was an absolute pleasure to um, be joined by him on the journey to true Cage Nirvana this week. Um, we'll be talking about all sorts of things in this episode. Of course, talking all about Cage all about matchstick men and numerous other bits and pieces as well. In this episode, Stuart reveals... Um, his gripe over a tweet he received a few years ago about the film Interstellar. He reveals a traumatic memory from his time in Leeds a few years back and comes up with a brand new name for fans of the podcast. All that and more to look forward to just before we get into the episode as well. Uh, this week, if you want to hear more of my voice, uh, because why oh, wouldn't you? Uh, I've guested on two different podcasts very recently. Uh, one, I had the chance to speak with Rob over at Out of the Blank podcast. Uh, very cage-centric and a few of the stories from the personal life as well. About Also about one time where I went to a friend's Mormon christening. Spoiler, he isn't a Mormon. Um, So that's great. And very recently as well, I was over on the Piecing It Together podcast with David Rosen. We were talking again all about Willy's Wonderland, uh, talking about all the puzzle pieces, the films that may have had some influence on the finished product. That was a lot of fun as well. Uh, So please do go check both of those out. Links to both of those in the description down below. Um, Outside of that, you can also follow the podcast over on Twitter, at cage underscore podcast, Instagram, at Cage Rage Pod, and you can listen on all the usual streaming services Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, Deezer, Podchaser. Um, if you want to rate the podcast as well, and I know every podcast you listen to asks you to rate it, it's what we all do. Um, if you listen to it on Apple or on Podchaser and you like it, please do consider giving it a rating as well. Again, I know it sounds super cliche, but it does help the podcast grow. It helps more people become aware of the podcast. Um, It gets it around. It's really, really helpful, and I'd really appreciate it. Uh, On the back of that, and if you think anyone might like it, feel free to share it around as well. I'd be ever so grateful. Uh, But with all the admin out of the way, let's get into this week's episode. It's a lot of fun. It's Daryl Edge. It's Stuart Laws. Matchstick Men 2003. Enjoy. So, this week, we turn our attention to the only Cage film of 2003, the black comedy crime film Matchstick Men. Here, we find Nicolas Cage as Roy Waller, a depressed con artist with OCD, and his partner Frank, whose line of work quickly becomes complicated by the arrival of Roy's teenage daughter. Joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana this week, and helping me separate the Matchstick Men from the Matchstick Boys, 
is writer, director, and stand-up comedian Stuart Laws. Stuart, how the devil are you today? Very well, thank you. All the better for matchstick men being in my life. <laughs> I'm very glad to hear it because um, I'm, like as we were sort of saying, sort of before recording, it's always baffling to me that anyone agrees to this. It's all. <laughs> it's even more baffling that, uh, that people come into the record and they're they're caged up for lack of, for lack of a better term. Um, but I take it from that you'd um, obviously we'll get a bit more into this as we go along. I take it from this you had seen Matchstick Man before now. Yeah, I, I love Matchstick Man, and I believe comedian Reese James is one of his favourite films. Really, uh, I loved it at the time. Now I have an edgy opinion about Matchstick Man, Ooh, right. and that is that it is Ridley Scott's second best film. That's a big claim. That's a big claim. Dare I ask what pits? Number one in your in your list, I think Alien pips it. Even though I prefer Aliens, uh, but I think Alien is is slightly better. Right. And then the then it's Matchstick Men, and then it's a huge drop off to all the rest <laughs> of Ridley Scott's films. It's so Alien, Matchstick Men, blank in the middle, <laughs> and then maybe Blade Runner. Throw a Gladiator no, in there. Blade Runner, uh, both of those way down. I think Blade. I think that's that's maybe the edgiest opinion that Blade Runner is one of the most overrated films. It's so it, everyone loves the visuals and they forget. I mean, Harrison Ford's not good. He's much better in Twenty Forty Nine when he's older and a bit more jaded. Yeah, he commits a sexual assault in the film. <laughs> that's peak. He's, that's peak Ford when he's at his he's at his worst slash best. Yeah, yeah, he's constantly doing that, isn't he? In in those early does it. Mm. I don't know if he forces the kiss on Princess Leia, does he? I know this is not Blade Runner, by the way. I've not confused Empire <laughs> Strikes Back with. Let's see, you can hear from the, the clanking glass that there is a drink in his hand, but he's not confused. It's only half five at the time of recording. Um, now I think. I'm trying to think about Star Wars now, because in, in my head, I don't know if you've been watching The Mandalorian as well, because I'm still Mandalorian fresh in, okay. my, in my head. So I'm, is that a term? Um, it is now. Um, yeah, yeah. When you've seen something better than Star Wars, you Mando fresh. Yeah. Um, actually, what am I talking about? A Cage fresh. Cage is better than all of that. Plug. plug oh my yeah, own. yeah. So this is about uh, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, should should be plugging the greatest actor of our generation. I feel like I've I've let the side down. I've let myself down. I've let his Wikipedia page down. Um, yeah. I've noticed that the last twenty edits on that are you. And I have to respect you for that, for knowing so much about. It. I know, I know, I know someone who's in a film with him. That's really? just done a, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to. I'll check after this, and you can cut it out if I can't. Right, uh, gotcha. Luke, Luke, Luke McQueen, stand-up yes. comedian, is yes. in the new Nicolas Cage film. Um, there's a few new ones that are on the on, on the rise. Is it is uh, obviously it's the one where he plays himself. Right, I'm with you. Right, I'll keep a, keep an eye out for Luke McQueen, everyone. See, this yeah. is, this is what I'm this is what I mean. There's there's uh, a secret wave of Cage fans out there, and and I'm acting like Luke took this job because he wanted to be close to Nicolas Cage. I don't know. I've not met Luke. I don't I don't know his wants and needs. His scene wasn't with uh, Nicolas Cage was on the other end of a phone of the scene. Oh. Yeah, so he didn't get to meet him, but he did get to act with Neil Patrick Harris. That's that's I mean, quite a nice development. I mean, I I wouldn't say no to a, a scene with Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, I mean, I would be doing it for the Cage scene. I, I don't know about yeah. you. I, I don't know it's what a gateway drug. <laughs> Cage is Neil Patrick Harris is a gateway drug to Nick of this Cage. <laughs> um, would 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 there be something that would persuade you to take a take an acting role with Nick of this Cage other than let's say the awards, the money? Um, would it be anything the craft in it for you? I don't. I'm. I'm trying to get the vibe of this podcast. I think Nicolas Cage is a good actor. Correct. You've nailed it. Now we can move on to the next question. You passed the test. Yeah. He is a good actor. He's a he's a maniac. And we've <laughs> got to respect that. And he makes choices to pay off tax bills. We've got to respect that. Mm-hmm. So maybe some films he doesn't put the prep in that he may sometimes expect himself to, to do. But the guy is a good actor. I'm, I'm glad to hear it, honestly, because I 
when, whenever I sort of say to people, and I, I sort of say this without like a hint of irony, that I do think that Nicolas Cage is a good actor, and I think he's uh, obviously my sort of controversial thing, like with your Ridley Scott film list, I think he's a genuinely great actor. Mm-hmm. When this is one of those things when if I say that to someone in real life, they just look at me like I've blasphemed. Well, you're not being sitting. I can't tell if you're being serious. And they th- they think I'm a mad. They think I'm as mad as Cage when I say yeah, that. But mad as a box of cages. <laughs> that is the saying in the Cage community. Yeah. If, if you are, what you, are the name of Cage fans? What is the the official term? Um, Cagers. Cage and spices. Oh, I don't know if that would make sense. No. <laughs> well, let me find my notebook because um, you know credit to you, but that's getting trademarked. Yeah, um, the Cajun Spice Boys. <laughs> um, Genuinely furious. I haven't thought of that during all the time I've had in lockdown. <laughs> Livid. Um, Cajun Spice Boys and Spice Girls are, um, I think, is the term now. Given the name of this podcast, I was like, oh, rages maybe, but then I think that can have maybe a lot of connotations um, mm. if you don't know the context. Um, but I think I can, I've got nothing better than Cajun Spice Boys. And already, yeah. you've brought a level of clarity to this podcast that has been severely lacking. Yeah, I anticipated that I'd do that, actually. It's something I tend to do. <laughs> I come in and I just change the dynamics of a podcast that's you know been, been going, tootling along fine, and then you get laws on, and suddenly it's like, ah, I understand what we've been doing wrong up until this point. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I bring to any podcast. In the podcast community, they call you the gifter. I don't know if you yes. know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, no, I, don't, I didn't actually know. I'd heard rumours of it, obviously. Um, but I mean, that is nice to know. <laughs> you don't want to dip too much into your own uh, mythology. Ruin the illusion. Yeah, you try and keep yourself sort of like Keitel in, in Pulp Fiction. He knows he's the best. <laughs> but he's not Googling to find out what people are saying about his clean-up skills. <laughs> I mean, with that said, this will obviously be the last episode of the podcast because I can't top you as a guest. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I knew that coming in. I know that going out. Um, And like you said with Cage, got to respect it. Laws is the Mm. gifter. He will gifteth and he will taketh podcasteth away. Um, So (laughs) go. And this will be paying off my tax bill this year. (laughs) You're welcome in so many ways, Stuart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But. But with that said, um, you've touched on that you you know you do think that Cage is a good actor. Um, so looking into that a bit more as well, um, are there other Cage films that you've seen? Um, would, where would you put sort of Matchstick Men for yourself on uh, on your Cage par of Cage films? Yeah, it's a, it's in the upper echelon for sure. Um, it's up there with The Rock. It's up there with Bad Lieutenant. Uh, um. Chuck some other classics out there at me that I um, miss. Con Air, obviously. Face Off. Face Off. Um, oh, the editor. And then the Coen brother. Is that Raising Arizona? Raising oh. Arizona, yeah. Yeah, great film. See, this th- guy only makes gold. <laughs> He's, well, I've been saying this for, by the time this comes out, 30, 40 weeks that he's never made a bad film and I will die on mm. that hill. But it is like, it, it genuinely speaking, someone for me that has has he made what the norms and I'm air quoting on an audio podcast here, what the norms would call bad films? Maybe, maybe. But, but with some of the ones that you reeled off there, he has got an untouchable backlog of films. Um, and we all forget he's an award-winning actor. He's in two National Treasures, so he's Disney approved. Oh my god, I forgot about National Treasures. Oh my god, I love <laughs> National Treasure. <laughs> I, oh. Uh, I've watched that recently. It's so good. Th- that that was one for me where I think nostalgia kind of came in because I remembered it in a certain way. And I don't know right. if this, I don't know if that was sort of similar for you with Matchstick Men or how many times you've watched that. Being said, so sometimes with our first time, it's all rose tinted, but then you go back. We're a little older, a little bit wiser, and you think, was that the film that I remember? I mean, does Matchstick yeah. Men? Would you say that help that this holds up for you in in twenty twenty? Yeah. I've watched it, I'd say, four times, including the latest watch. And it's still a great film. Now, I don't know a huge amount about OCD. Nicolas Cage plays someone who uh, has 
OCD and the way he plays it is with typical typical sort of cage uh frisson. <laughs> it's big the ticks are big. You watch um yeah. like prisoners with Jake Gyllenhaal and he he has a tick in that but it's sort of relatively subtle compared to cage sort of eye blinks and one, two, three, opening and closing doors and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. I don't know how accurate a representation of it, but you know what it is? It's a compelling performance. You're watching it. Yeah. It's put. It, it gives an edge, a, a, some tension to it. And Cage, you're the whole time. You, you buy it. Yeah, and it's a, it's a classic con man film. It's a classic heist movie. I love a heist movie. The heist is well. Spoiler alert! It's on Cage, but. It's great. And also I looked into Alison Lohman because I remember how much I loved Alison Lohman as an actor when she was breaking through in those early days. Hmm. She doesn't really act anymore. She's sort of stopped acting sort of her own choice to focus on being a mother and she uh, and raising her family. And she occasionally does sort of acting in her partner's films as well. Her partner is a filmmaker. But she runs acting classes, oh. online acting classes. You can pay, you can go and have an acting class with Alison Lohman. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, sort of how to, how to, I guess for any actors, like how do you act across and hold your own in a scene with Nicolas Cage, a known right. stealer of scenes for better or worse. Yeah. This is this is what you said, it's a very, it is a very engrossing performance and for me um, this was actually my first time watching Matchstick Men um, as of last night. Um, wow. So Congrats. Thank you, um, Father and Child. What's your take? Um, I, you know what? Obviously, I sort of make this and watch notes at the same time. But um, I have to say, I really enjoyed this film. Yeah. See, we get it. Same wavelength, killing it. Um, but like, like unironically, sort of take Cage away from. I think, I think it's a really good film. Um, and I. There's there's a few films like you you, you know you can't airs and face offs but I couldn't come out of it and think yes I'll watch that again because it's all big and silly but this one I'm trying to think what the well there's there's a, there's a quote that um sort of Nicholas Cage says in the film is like if you're going to get wet you might as well go swimming and and he's very engrossed well very engrossing to watch in uh, the OCD and the ticks and um I think this is a film that really does play Cage to his strengths. And at the same time, you wouldn't classify it as a Cage film, would you? This is something I wanted to bring up. We're in, we are in sync on this one. Because um, mm. I, um, you know, to sound like a broken record on this podcast, I bring it up all the time. But there are the two, the two Cage films, the Cage film and the film that Cage is in. Yeah. And this is one that you can argue, argue straddles the line, but it's, a film that Cage is in, which there was every potential for him to go dial it up to eleven and go full Cage. Yeah. Um, and something else I've you know I've sort of come to realize as well. Um, and I don't know if you view him in a similar way, but when I watch Nicolas Cage films, it's only something I really realized um, when I had to sort of separate myself from my Cage bias. But he's one of these actors that it's difficult for me to remove Nicolas Cage from the character. Some actors you watch, you're engrossed in the character, you see the character, but sometimes a lot of people that they bring up say, I just see Nicolas Cage. But mm. in, in this film, particularly for me, I didn't really see Nicolas Cage. I, I saw Roy and I, I mm. saw a character and that that really just took this to another level for me. Oh, absolutely. I I, th- I would say at the time, I wasn't so, when it, when it first came out, it was 2003. Mm, yeah um i wasn't a big you know nicholas i wasn't a, a cajun spice boy <laughs> i would say at that time i was just like oh cool there's this new movie out it's a con man movie i love i love that sort of vibe mm-hmm. let's go and uh let's go and watch it and then i think after that period was when cage went into his cage era the era the epoch when he started to pay off the tax bill, right? And he would appear in anything and everything. It was definitely around that time where some of his film choices would become a little bit more um, suspect, I suppose. Yes. And so uh, 
I just watched it purely as someone who's like, yeah, cool. I'm going to go and watch this this cool film. I think you know, Catch Me If You Can was out at a similar sort of time, and it, yeah, there's probably a few other heist movies that are around that sort of time or about comment. So went into it purely for those reasons. Came out of it. I didn't even think like oh, I've watched a Nicolas Cage film. Just was like, oh, great. What a cool performance by Nicolas Cage. Sam Rockwell's great. In a way, Sam Rockwell's a younger Nick Nicolas Cage. Um, who's this Alison Lohman chap? Fucking great as well. Um, and wow, Ridley Scott can make a good movie. What a surprise. And then on that day in 2003, you went straight to number two on your Scott list. Yeah, straight to number... <laughs> uh, you know what? I might not have even seen Alien at that point. Because I'd seen Blade Runner and hated it, hated it so much that I was just like, <laughs> you know what, I'm not going to even watch Alien. And then I think a few years later, I was like, all right, go on, I'll do it. <laughs> oh yeah, like, what fair play to the guy. Fair play to the lad. That's a not. That's a that's a good. That's a neat little movie, actually. I'm, I'll give him a call, Ridley. What a neat little movie you made. <laughs> Whack that on the poster, Alien. Pretty neat. Yeah, good stuff. Actually, keep you know, keep on trying, keep on doing what you're doing, Rids. Um, I think you really got something. <laughs> well, guess what? We've got Ridley Scott in the studio right now. Oh, no, Ridley. <laughs> this is classic Ridders. Um, it's a shame because Tony Scott is by far a better filmmaker, but he was sort of overshadowed by Ridley Scott, who just likes, you know, long, long shots of people staring into the distance <laughs> and mistaking that for sort of being important and better. Mm. <laughs> Quicker cuts, please, and just might, you know what? You're making a film. Let's make it fun. <laughs> That's also something that I'd say Nicolas Cage is good at, is making a performance fun. You can yeah. tell when something's not quite right is when he's not making the performance fun. I'm trying to think, like, um, have you seen Bangkok Dangerous? Oh, boy, have I seen Bangkok Dangerous. Yeah, I don't feel like he's making that performance fun. And I have seen the original Bangkok Dangerous, and it's brilliant. I love it. Hmm. But the remake was like, I was like, oh, Nicolas Cage has done a remake. And I think I was actually in my proper, you know, the early stages of the Cajun Spice Boy fever. <laughs> and it was like, well, Bangkok Dane, I love the original. Let's see what Cage brings to this. And you're just like, oh, this this is a good film. This is a good plot. This is a good idea. And he's not he's not doing anything with it. I don't know whether that's his fault or the director's fault or, you know. Yeah. So when Cage is having fun, I'm having fun, baby. Even if the film's dog shit. <laughs> when that spice is flowing, your boy, your boy is in there getting oh spiced God, up. To I the don't audience. want any milk. I don't want any milk. <laughs> Keep that spice heating up the mouth and any other orifice it's gotten into. I mean, we don't discriminate on this podcast. If you want a yeah, Cajun plug, spice, plug it, yeah, plug it in all the orifices. Anything that's available, I'll take a, a little Cajun spice. You know. <laughs> Cork me up like a message in a bottle. Throw me out to sea so I can pass on the good word of Nicolas Cage <laughs> to anywhere else that wants to know about it. Bangkok Dangerous, though, it, it, it's it's a weird one because, like you say, there is there's such a marked difference um, when you can tell Cage is having a good time and when he's not having a good time. Mm. And the hair in Bangkok Dangerous aside, which is arguably the worst of the Cage hairs. Yeah, um, I've, yeah. It's because I didn't realize until starting this that he had his own production company called Saturn Films, and that was one of the films that they produced on. Um, really? And I, again, this is something else I bring up. I've tried to do without, um, you know, a dark web deep dive. Tried to sort of look into Saturn Films. They're very difficult to find information on. Um, it makes it sound like it's a money laundering thing. That's my only theory at the moment. Um, but they Saturn films do seem to be involved in a lot of the remakes that he picks up, uh, like Bangkok Dangerous, like The Wicker Man as well. Mm. Films that um, I think Cage himself has been a fan of in the past. Um, films that also, you can argue these are vanity projects for him because they don't need remaking. Um, mm. while, while, while to my discredit, I haven't seen the original Bangkok Dangerous. I have read numerous sources to say it's better in Every Gosh. way, even though it's it was fantastic. directed by um, by the same brothers as well, I think the, it was. Uh, what are they called? The Oxide, Pang, Pang, and someone else. Yeah, I remember the name Oxide being one of the greatest names I've ever heard. And uh, yeah, I'm still thinking about changing my name to uh, Oxide Pang Edge. Dan- 
<laughs> uh, Pang, uh, Danny and Oxide Pang. That's it, the Pang brothers. It kind of makes me think as well. Um, like, like if there was something to say that like you were directed by Chance Stewart and one day mm. you get that call from Saturn Films, there's no information about him, but it doesn't matter because it rings a bell and Nicolas Cage says, Stewart, I want to remake some of your skits. Um, but then it's worse in every possible way. Um, would you, would your creative heart allow Cage to take the reins, or would you just take that paycheck, step back, and think, you know, twenty twenty, what are we going to do? Oh, yeah, I feel like there is an element of just you know, you get to work with the guy, so you might as well just step back and uh, just let Cage take over for a bit. I don't, you know. A lot of the film industry is like, oh, everything's got to be a passion project. Sometimes, and I think Cage knows this more than most of us, you've got to pay your bills. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's as simple as that. It's um, as simple as that. Would would you also take the credit and, you know, at this point, no one's calling you a sellout. Everyone understands your reasoning for letting Cage take the reins. But irrespective of the reception at the end of it, you get to say, I, Stuart Laws, and the only Nicolas Cage-approved comedian working right now. I mean, what oh, does that do to your career? Exactly. I am easily bagging a, a, an opening 20 <laughs> at, the, at the, the Chuckle Factory just outside of Norwich. <laughs> no questions asked. I put that at the top of the email. <laughs> they get back to me within two weeks. They're saying, yep, we'll have you in. 2021, end of 2021, we want you opening. Well, that's what I'm putting in the uh, in the intro when I record that later on. He's the, <laughs> he's the only Cage-approved comic. And to, to all the other Cage podcasts out there, suck on that. Um, yeah. I say this about the, the... Let's not get past the um, the Pang brothers. Obviously, they, they made The Eye as well, which I, I loved. Um, and they also made The Eye 2 and The Eye 10, which is the two sequels to it. I think I've seen them because I believe I have that trilogy. Um I don't remember much about the I-2 or the I-10. Uh, then they made a remake of that, obviously. I didn't, I'd forgotten that they directed that remake. Um, and also, I've just found out that they um, they did make more uh, crime films in the Bangkok trilogy. There's a trilogy? Yeah. They also directed um, Infernal Affairs and Infernal Affairs 2, which are masterpieces, which... Um, the Departed was based on. Ooh. Man, I'm going to get back into the, the Pang Brothers. Well, if nothing else, um, get your Pang on, Stuart, as far as I'm concerned. If you, take, if you take nothing else away from this, you've brought me Cajun Spice Boys. I mm, weekly re-gift you the Pang Brothers. It's not an equal <laughs> exchange in any way, shape or form. Uh, uh, fans uh, of the Pang Brothers, we refer to ourselves as the Pangolins. <laughs> Um, we've had a bit of bad press this year, but uh... you know, a little. Bit, some people say that no publicity is bad publicity, you know. Um, so the Pangolins could be making a big comeback and up there with the uh, the Cajun Spice Boys in terms of in terms of fans in fan bases, and you could be spear, could be spearheading both movements. To be honest, <laughs> they made uh, the messengers. That was their English language debut. They've done. They've done Let's more. Let's not get too focused on the, the Pang brothers, but a big shout because I feel like they haven't got enough credit for for some of the the great work and how good Bangkok Dangerous is. Well, from what I've seen in the uh, the podcast, I think there is an opening for a Pang based podcast. If you you know if you've got the time to commit to that, yeah, um, yeah. If you want to call it Pang Rage or or Pang Pangolin or Pangalot, I don't know the way to shoehorn your name into it. Are you? That's the question at the end. Are you pangle in or are you pangle out? And then you get to choose. My God, he's done it again. How does he keep doing it? Is I what th- everyone says. <laughs> laws on their pod. <laughs> the laws has been enacted, and it will be implemented immediately, if not soon. <laughs> um, God bless you, but also God damn you for this gold, laws. God damn you for this gold. Um, I mean, in terms of, obviously, direct to be touched on Weedley Scott's screenplay, this was by the Griffin brothers, Ted and Nicholas Griffin. Uh, mm. Nicholas went by Nick Griffin for that one. A um, little touchy in, in the UK um, kind of thing. But the um, 
Looks like Nicholas didn't do that much, according to the IMDb, but Ted... He's more of a novelist, I believe. And Ted is more of a screenwriter. Yeah, I was looking into Ted. Um, also got Ocean's Eleven under the belt there. So, um, Trixie, Trixie. The Trixie, Trixie Griffins, what they say down the allotments. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also saw as well, that checking the release date, I always find it interesting to see what Cage was up against when it came out. Uh, September 12th, 2003, this released debuted at number two in front of Cabin Fever, but behind Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Huh. And I saw both those films in the cinema. What a good month for me. <laughs> He's done it again. 2003 Laws has done oh. it again. When will he start? Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which of course has that joke, are you a Mexican or a Mexicant? Oh. I mean, 2003... There was some spice in the water back then, let me tell oh, you that for free. Yeah, there absolutely was. Also, they shot that Once Upon a Time in Mexico on di- on digital cameras, one of the first to be shot on digital cameras, sort of mainstream films that was in the cinema. And I remember going to see it and being excited and being like, oh my God, let's see what this looks like. And I remember coming out of it feeling a bit like, oh, it didn't really look as good as I hoped it would. It did look <laughs> a bit like a whole movie. <laughs> digital cameras. And shiny. Digital camera wasn't doing it for you. Not back then, obviously now they're incredible, but those early days it was just like, ah, yeah, it is a bit, it looks, it does look a bit like EastEnders now. <laughs> Once upon a time in uh, EastEnders. Yeah. And I, I sort of remember vaguely when Cabin Fever came out as well. Um, again, I don't know if this was just my circle, and, and I'll say before I say it again, I don't claim to be a film expert, I'm just a fan of Nicolas Cage. Um, yes, yeah, but yeah. I remember everyone being kind of obsessed with cabin fever when that came out that seemed to um be on the tip of everyone's tongues in a really well i know everyone was buzzing about eli roth being that it was his debut film wasn't it but uh i remember it being fine i think it had a couple of scenes in it where everyone was like hello there's a new master of horror and tarantino was backing it that was what was happening wasn't it because then tarantino yeah. popped eli roth in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, I remember Eli Roth had a, I think, quite a peak at one point at Cabin Fever. Was it the Hostel films as well that he had? Hostel soon after, yeah. Yeah, he um had a bit of a peak as a as a, as a new lad in the horror game. Um, but little does he know, Cage is in the horror game now. So back off, Roth. The spice is always right. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, Cage. Yeah. So I haven't seen. Is it called Mandy? Is that the yes. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen that, and it is absolutely on my list because it looks like exactly my sort of thing. Is Mandy, Mandy is different to the Lovecraft one that's also come out, right? Yeah, um, they're both included in what's dubbed um, the Magenta Trilogy, more based on colours than content, not really related thematically. Uh, but Mandy's kind of the cosmic horror, uh, Colour Out of Space is the H.P. Lovecraft yeah. adaption. Um, so both... I prefer Mandy, both um, quite good in their own ways. Um, but the one thing to watch out for with Colour Out of Space is when Cage starts going a bit cagey. Um, mm. It's to my research because the director told him to. Um, the It was the same director, um, Stanley, something who did, the, who was involved with the sort of um, well known flop island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, Richard oh. Stanley, was it? Um, Yes, Richard Stanley, that was it. So, Colour Out of Space was actually his first film in 25 years. Yeah, I mean, if anything's going to put you off filmmaking, it's going to be The Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> so, he, he actually credited Cage for sort of bringing him out of a, uh, out of the abyss to sort of pull him back there. So, Cage, you know, Cage is doing more work behind the scenes than, you know, any of us little spice lads mm. care to give him, give him credit for. I find for. it interesting that, that if you're a director and you said to, uh, most people, can you make this take a little more cagey? That'd have a very different meaning to what it means when you're <laughs> saying that to Nicolas Cage. <laughs> it's the exact opposite, in fact. <laughs> I think the good thing about, um, definitely from a 2020 perspective now, and Cage's career, is that he is definitely becoming, and I'm going to make him sound like Skynet here, he is becoming more self-aware of um, mm. of his perception and how sort of people see him. I think um, there was uh, a behind-the-scenes clip on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse that he voiced Spider-Man Noir on, 
and they sort of asked him to dial it up and he was like like oh you want the full cage um and he's if you've seen the trailer he's got that um history of swearing show that's coming out on netflix as well because he's a bit of a a known language user in his films Mm. um so 2021 and again i I quote the cage part here the council of cage um 2021 is looking to be a potentially fairly big year for really for the cage man he's got a film coming out at sundance prisoners of the ghost land um which in the blurb says it's his most unhinged performance yet um and he wears a leather jacket that will explode in five days so if you're not in <laughs> if you're not if you're not in now laws i don't know what to tell you i don't yeah, know what I'm else. i don't need any more than that <laughs> um i i sort of look in, into this film as well it's um had a few little uh uh, award nominations as well. Not only is it certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, 82%, um, Nicolas Cage was at the Golden Schmoes Awards in 2003. Oh, good on him, actually. Uh, nominated for Best Actor of the Year, but lost out to Johnny Depp for Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black <sighs> Pearl. That's got to hurt. So 20 years later, you can see it in his eyes that there are, there are some things that still affect you. It sounds to me like ticks were very in that year, wasn't it? <laughs> that was probably Hollywood just being like, ah, there's um, yeah, there's a, a very real uh, mental health issue here. Uh, but what we spotted is that visually, ticks look great on camera. So everybody, <laughs> off you go. <laughs> Three, two, one, on your ticking marks. Yeah. Um, it, it was kind of interesting watching this film because I, I know you touched on earlier that um, you know, not too aware of i guess how ocd is or plays i was listening to a very brief interview he did before this and he said he knew people who had ocd so we'd asked them about it so he's um got his i guess got his um technique probably the wrong word but he his understanding of it from the source and there was um, a guy i used to work with who had ocd and um used to be like my manager at an old job and i'd never encountered ocd myself before meeting him um and sort of every night before he he leaves for the night he has to go through his checks he has to make sure his all his things are from his desk and then in his locker and he's shut it them out of times and there's like a like a verbal ritual he has to go through um and it's a similar thing when he leaves his house but the first time i saw that i i um admittedly sort of sniggered a little bit because i was like oh because he was kind of a joke so that's the way i sort of knew him as quite a light-hearted guy so i thought he was just making this up and it took like two or three times of sort of assisting him with the checks until he realised, oh no, this is a real thing. And he told me this could keep him in work for hours, going through the same checks, the same checks, depending on how stressful it had been. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of Cage touched on this interview. He's like, you know, maybe if nothing else, you can come away from this film and see people who might be affected with it and have a little bit more understanding with it as well. Um, oh. I mean, if 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 that's one of the things you can sort of take away from it, it's. Uh, OCD is real, you know. It's 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 no it's no joke, you know. And I think um, to that end, Jane Cage did a really good job. I like. I was convinced that he he this was the character. I didn't see Cage like we said earlier. I will say that yeah, definitely. He's not playing it for laughs. Any of the extremities to the performance is not him going for a laugh on it. It's it's Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Um, you know, even to the point where he's calling her a nosy Parker. Yeah. Very funny phrasing. And you wonder <laughs> whether that was in the script or whether that is a little Nicolas Cage. Like, I don't feel I'd call her a whatever. I'd yeah. call her this. Um, but uh, there is underpinning it the that that's that sadness to it of like he's sort of trapped in this cage. Uh, oh, hello. Oh, he's done um, it again. A, li- a little bit. Um, yeah, and there is that sadness in his life, which is obviously, if it's quite a pat ending, it's quite a neat ending. But it is like, okay, yeah, I think his character does deserve that, and that's how we get him out of the the situation or the how he had built his life. Uh, yeah, it's it's an ending that is neat and tidy, but at the same time, you go, you know what, this film deserves it. It's taken us through everything. We don't need to. It, it's fine to cut to a shot of him in his house ha- having a happy life now because we've put all the work in leading up to this. We don't yeah. need to now justify it beyond 
just showing us that he's now happy and comfortable. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, I'd seen... Um, there's a few people who... And I guess, you know, not trying to go into the whole book versus the film debate or anything like that. Um, but a few people that did feel, um, from what I'd seen online, that the the one year later part of the ending was kind of a bit bolted on. They felt it was a bit too um, Hollywood-ized um, to, you know, give the hero the happy ending. Um, I could sort of see why they did it. Um, I think... From what I read in the first drafts of the script, they'd sort of um, kept like uh, the big con at the end with the big reveal that um, Sam Rockwell's Frank had actually been conning Roy the whole time. They'd originally taken that out because they thought the hero was going to be cheated uh, and the audiences would be cheated as well if he was penniless. But um, uh, Ridley Scott actually suggested they put it back in, but add the one a uh, year later as a bit of a addendum to it to sort of wrap things up as well um and i think it's sort of interesting to say that you you approve of the ending when like i said i think a lot of people didn't seem to like it too much either the um the ending though i mean you can leave it you could just leave it and not imply that in which case you've got this sad ending of what's happened to him but i feel like um he's been taught his lesson Mm -hmm. frank's obviously gotten away with it she you know he's the villain of the piece but um, he's been taught his lesson. She's, you know, not done great out of it. And and they have their scene. I think that's a, a nice scene. I think that's really nicely done. And then the him going home, you just go, you know what? Sometimes it's just nice to pop a little neat bow on a, on a story. Not everything has to have that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, what, whatever happened. Sometimes you just go, it is a film. Let's just tidy it all up. Yeah. We've, we've, had, we've had all our treats. So let's just... Um, <laughs> Let's just give them all some closure and wrap it all up. <laughs> I'm, I feel fine with that sometimes. It's a nice little after-dinner mint for you. Yeah, the exactly. But the whole film is a, is a lovely dinner. The whole film's a lovely dinner, so just pop the after-dinner mint in and let me, <laughs> let me go home with minty fresh mouth rather than being like, oh, it was nice, but I can still taste that fucking cumin. <laughs> it's not Cajun. I mean, I'll yeah, no, t- exactly. I'll tell, I'll tell you that right now. I think if I had, um, I suppose, any gripes with the film myself, um, mm. I think it would be maybe with the, the sort of Roy-Frank relationship. Because okay. I think at the start of the film, I definitely believe that, you know, they, they're sort of a, I guess, almost like a yin and yang kind of thing. They mesh well together. They had the water filtration system scam going. And then, um, you know, they sort of moved to long con which Roy is adamantly against um against that sort of rich sort of arrogant billionaire um chuck um but i think the twist at the end for me um it's seemed to come a little out of left field i don't know if there was enough shown in the relationship from my perspective to sort of be too hurt by it i think it was more hurtful to to sort of see that um angela wasn't actually um, Cage's daughter. She was a plant, um, a protege of Frank's. I think that was more affecting. But um, I think the, like I said, the Frank reveal, uh, maybe maybe sort of lost a little bit for me. Um, because and also as well, he's he's disappeared with all the voice savings, most of which seem to be fifty pound notes. I mean, where's he off? <laughs> <laughs> the question is, where, where is he off? Where where is he going to? Um, Pay and display somewhere. <laughs> trying to get changed for a 50 good luck mate yeah um i mean if you've ever given a 50 pound note to anyone in retail and i've been on the receiving end working on the other side of the uh the till um the look of fear in the face when when the 50 is presented um you've never seen anything like it so um i think <laughs> i think you would have struggled if you were uh, if you're asking me but I'd, maybe I missed something, but I didn't see there were like hints of him being sort of the master con artist the whole time, other than him wanting to commit to the long con against Chuck. I don't know if I'd I don't say, know if Frank K played differently for you though. I'd say there was enough for me, um, little little bits here and there, um, but I feel like sometimes with these these con movies, you've got to have a, an element that's that feels unguessable. As long as it's not too far, when you look back at it, you go, oh, okay, okay, I see how you got there. Mm-hmm. I don't want everything to be guessable. 
And obviously, you watch a film about con men, and you should be like, okay, all right, who's conning who? What's the real thing going on here? Um, but yeah. also, I never want to watch films like that. I never want to go into a film and just be like, right, how can I solve you straight away? <laughs> I want to, the first one, I just want it to wash over me and get to the end and be like, oh, wow, great. I really enjoyed that the whole way through because I didn't spend every plot point or bit of dialogue just going, is that going to be relevant later? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I suppose um, uh, when Roy was sort of showing Angela, she'd sort of persuaded him, like, oh, uh, show me sort of this matchstick men world, this con men world, and he starts showing her the uh, the lottery scam in the laundry. Mm-hmm. And he, I guess at that point he does say to her, you know, there are a few rules, don't don't pull a job sort of near to where you live. Also, make sure the person you're conning isn't conning you. So I wonder if if that might have been a hint as well to um, you know sneaky sneaky little Rockwell um, and in the background. Yeah, what Frank goes off, he's the one that goes off to uh, get the at the airport, and then suddenly the guy appears in the car park, and he knows that he's been conned. So there's little bits that are like, oh yeah, that's probably where that bit happened and that bit happened. But uh, mm. I'm fine with it. I I I um. I'm always just frustrated with with people who uh, complain that a film's bad because they guessed it early on. And you just go, well... Yeah, yeah, that's, that's not what the film's about. It's not about guessing it. Uh, you should just be watching the film. You shouldn't be trying to guess it. It stresses me out, man. People when It's the same with, like, dads watching magicians. Dads <laughs> hate to be fooled by magicians. You watch any dad at a magic show and they're just like, oh, they're trying to guess it or tell their kids, like, oh, they did it like this. And you're like, just grow up. Just be fooled every now and then and enjoy it. Have a better life. (laughs) Take that, every dad who's ever lived. Every fucking dad who's ever watched a magician, you know what's going on there. You're gutted that someone's showing you up in front of your kids. Grow up. I I fear that with the dads, and I think this is sort of a... um, not a, not a father myself, except to a cat. The sort of similar thing, but um, when I go, um, if I've ever been to a gallery, part of the pain is looking sometimes looking at a work of art and thinking, I think I could have done that myself, but 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 you didn't do it, and that's that's, that's the key. <laughs> so you're sitting there yeah, with your the cat, and the laser pointer's going across the wall, and the cat's going wild trying <laughs> to get to it, and you're just whispering to the cat, oh someone's got a pen that emits uh, a laser um, and that when it hits a solid object reflects back in a form of uh, light which your (laughs) eyes pick up on and you think it's something that you can catch even though it's uh, a a light uh, wave so you can't get it Um, the cat's looking at you like you've ruined it for me why are you doing this to me dad (laughs) There are cat dads up and down the country, just huffing, arms folded, like I could have done. There's a laser pointer. Grow up. Then just like disconcerting partners across the couch, going, "Our son, cat daughter, is right there." Yeah. And then and then argument starts. They've got the you know a Christmas time as well. Yeah. Awful. Uh, Before you know it, the cat spending weekends at yours. Weekdays with your partner, different just, counties, different tiers, horrible. <laughs> different tiers, different fears, but it all comes back to the fact that dad won't let the bloody laser pen argument go. You've made your point, Steve. Just be beaten every now and then, dads. Just be beaten. <laughs> just suspend your disbelief for two hours. It's it's not much to ask, otherwise you're going to end up like Angela, crashing on a couch going through all the vinyls exactly um, I, suppose I, go- I think someone tw- tweeted like um about when interstellar came out was like yeah well i knew that he was going to be the ghost when uh when that line of dialogue was right at the start and you're just like what do you mean you knew what do you mean <laughs> elaborate one minute into a film you've worked out the entire plot <laughs> you've worked out a plot one minute into a film that took someone years and years to, to write. You've cracked it. Elaborate. Yeah. Also, why are you tweeting this? Who gives a shit? <laughs> grow up. Just grow up, man. 
just enjoy I, enjoy the film. Yeah. Don't sit there with your pen and paper out being like, okay, so he's mentioned ghost there. Uh, they wouldn't say ghost if that wasn't going to be relevant later on. Okay, put that away. Uh, bookcase, bookcase. Um, he's going to go into a black hole, cross into a tesseract, interact with gravity, affecting her watch, and therefore sending the equation that will be necessary to save humans um, into her past, which she will then solve in her future, <laughs> which is now my past because I've been on a wave planet. <laughs> A minute in, you solved that, did you? Fucking hell. It's not even about solving it, it's just enjoying the journey. And all of that in 280 characters or less. Yeah. <laughs> the nerve. The nerve. Um, but like I say, with um, with Angela, I think, and as you said, Alison Lohman as well, shame oh. that she she's not, um, you know, other than the acting course, is still, you know, in the uh, uh, the TV film world, because she was great. She was Shame so, for us. Sounds so to me like great for her. Sounds that way as well. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this as well, but um, apparently at the audition, she went to it dressed and acting like a 14-year-old girl, but it wasn't until they started filming that Ridley Scott actually found out she was 23 years old. Yeah, this is what surprised me, is when I went to see how how old she... Well, when I Googled her, and I saw she was 41, and I was like, what? Could have sworn she was younger than me, and then I remembered the plot of the film. <laughs> and was I mean, like, oh, yeah... I mean, she's great in it and completely convincing as a fourteen-year-old girl, and yeah. then completely convincing as a as a woman in her in her early twenties late on in the film. Yeah, definitely, and I think um, obviously credit to Alison and obviously not that Sam Rockwell needs credit and stuff, but all the other cast outside of Cage um, held their own and were all so watchable as well. Sometimes mm. with Cage films, like I say, it's. Uh, um, sort of not that he means to be. Sometimes it's how it's written. Sometimes it's how it's directed. Cage can be uh, the attention piece, but um, everyone was equally watchable. I found in this, mm. and um, so I say again, Allison was Allison was really good. I was like really enjoyed all the performance in this. It was um, you know strictly tens across the board for me. If we're doing like a strictly system in terms of the, um, I've never watched it, but I understand that they score dancing. And the to me, the most sensible way to do that would be out of 10. Um, so I understand the reference. There's there's nothing that I can say that laws will not grab with both hands. Yeah, and sometimes you'll say it and I won't fully understand what you mean. But what I'll do is I'll take the opportunity for when you're talking just to process it in my head um, and hopefully by the end of your sentence, understand it. So that's just a little indication on how I um, <laughs> communicate. Well, you know, credit where credit's due. You don't lie. You're a very honest, a very yeah. honest podcast guest. And again, the cage circuit of podcasts would be lucky to have you. Oh, I'll be. You know what? I've I've had like six or seven emails since this started from people being like, "We're here. You're doing cage podcasts now." What has how's what a thousand can't... quid? Would you do it? And I'm like, <laughs> try higher. <laughs> I mean, you've started with that's my. What you did. I feel you've, grateful for the five grand. <laughs> you start with my base introduction of like a poultry. If anything, I've undercut you, and you've been to mm. you've tolerated. Um, what is, frankly, this podcast is an affront to your character and skill. Yes, um, yeah, and I've yeah. I've you. done nothing but offend you. Um, yeah, obviously correct. you can the listeners you can only hear the audio of this, but in this Zoom call, he hasn't made made eye contact with me once, and I'm Trying not angry. Yeah. I'm not angry because I fear he will strike at his camera. Um, yeah. Also, I know where Leeds is, so I, I could be there in three hours. I spent a winter in Leeds once. <laughs> you made it sound very harrowing. There, there was a flash any follow-up of... questions. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was a flash of PTSD in your in your eyes. Was it genuinely? Was it a... There was actually. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask. Was it a, was it an okay winter? Did you enjoy it? So it was Chris. The wind lead up week to. Christmas 2017, um, there was an alternative Christmas market. It was like, um, uh, it was a Brothers Grimm themed Christmas market in the uh, grounds of the uh, sort of semi rundown church. I can't remember which end of the town it's at. I think it's at the um, Ellen Road end. That rings a bell. Yeah. I think, I know, I think I know the area. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and I, <laughs> my agent said, they want you to compare this Christmas market and it's sort of Brothers Grimm themed and there's like um, uh, drag queens on and dancers and sort of, you know, circus acts and things like that. And it's um, people come in and you'll just be on stage and you'll introduce them and there's that's the sort of vibe of it. And it's a week and it's this much money. And unfortunately, that year in Edinburgh, I had had that wonderful time where you, um, you'd you had some early reviews come in, which were very, very nice. Uh, and then my audience numbers just catastrophically dropped off for some reason after the reviews came in. You know that whole thing, that whole myth that you're told that when the reviews come in, the people will come in as well. I had yeah. the exact opposite. I had a very nice first week where I hadn't really worked out the show properly, but I'd sort of was getting to grips with it. The reviews came in. Great, here we go. We're gonna have a lovely last two weeks. Yeah. Numbers went nowhere. So I needed some money and uh this Leeds job was about the amount of money where I couldn't turn it down, but at the same time I wasn't happy about saying yes to it. <laughs> right. It was right in that sweet spot. I was like, Oh fuck, right. I need that amount of money. But ideally I wouldn't be in Leeds comparing a Christmas market. If I had known the truth of it, that when I got there, about got the train up, went straight to the venue, the first show or session, two sessions uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, and then one session on the weekdays. Uh, they said, great, thanks. We're starting in about two hours. Here's your costume. It was a wolf costume. I wasn't told <laughs> I'd be wearing a wolf costume. Right. In a way, I was like, oh, maybe that's better because no one could see my face. But it was one of those where the head comes over the top of my head and then if you look underneath you can see my face yeah oh, like the mesh sort of covering but there was no mesh it was just oh just pure loss yeah. so pure. people could absolutely if they wanted to be like see the sadness in his eyes <laughs> uh and then i spent a week up there the uh airbnb i was offered the chance to either stay in a house share with uh all the other performers i was like no thank you i would not like that or <laughs> a room in uh, just a random person's house so right. i went with that so i was just staying in this lovely person's house who lived in leeds and was just looking after a guy who's playing a wolf anyway and it, what and we're it talking about leeds <laughs> and it haunts you to this day it it's funny it's funny that it happened and i'm <laughs> yeah i'm glad that i did it and i got to pay off some of my debts but um in hindsight not fun <laughs> Well, you know, every man has his price. Every man has his price. Yeah. And yours is the low, low price of five grand if you're feeling generous to lowly nonsense like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I've, I've had to uh, upwardly adjust that since the wolf debacle, the Leeds wolf debacle of 2017. There's only there's only pre and post wolf for, um, for Stuart Laws, and it's how you bounce mm. back. Exactly, <laughs> from, and it's the same Wolfgate. with Cage. It's pre-imposed Bangkok dangerous. <laughs> you can make that argument with a lot of his films. But, yeah, uh, that is fair. It does feel like Wicker Man was probably that. It there that does feel like a um a a Rubicon. That was <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Um, a little sort of Cage uh, tidbit as well that I sort of noticed um, when they're making spaghetti in the house. Then they're like, that's not gone well. Let's get a Domino's in. The pizza boy. Um, yes. I think you know where I'm going with this. Is actually none of the Marco Kairis, Nick Cage's former stand-in from 1994 to 2005. Um, so oh, I didn't know you were going there with that. That's a fantastic tidbit. I was just going to say it's a very memorable performance. And I remember thinking, he's made, he's made everything. Like He's gone, I've got four seconds on screen. I'm going to give this everything <laughs> but little did you know he's already been given everything behind the scenes like <laughs> you see that shot of a shoulder could have been marco could have been marco so <clears throat> excuse me oh, who was that interesting that oh it was vin diesel apparently in uh bloodshot that new film that came out just before the pandemic uh apparently he used his stand-in for every single over-the-shoulder shot and you just go, how awful must it be if you're another actor and you never get to do 
your scene <laughs> to the actor that you're supposed to be doing it. <laughs> I never. Now, now I think about it, I think if there's one man who I would baselessly say is possibly arrogant, it's Vin Diesel. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that just proves what I've been saying the whole goddamn time. Yeah, I've been um, muttering that a lot. I, I've been, you know, as soon as you came into sort of the the Zoom room, I didn't even say hi to you. I just said, "Fucking Vin Diesel." What? what? Oh, yeah, I thought that was weird, but I understand it. Yeah, I mean, my my modus operandi, I don't say hello to guests. I just let you figure it out. Yeah, and yeah, go- and luckily that I'm good at that's a thing that I've already boasted about that I will figure stuff out if I have to. <laughs> just like the person who sent that tweet and solved Interstellar, you solved this. Yeah, in, he didn't even tweet about it. That's the joy of you. You're humble. I don't. Know, when, when did Interstellar come out? Twenty fourteen. Around that time, I think. And I'm still thinking about a tweet someone did from that time. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real mystery of that film. They, well, it's uh, it's in a weird way. It's like a lot of Cage performances, whether you loved them or hated them, it's hard not to think about them when the credit is rolling. Yeah, um, I am. absolutely, actually. And as uh, as he said on Inside the Actors Studio, when they asked the last question, you know, you go to the pearly gates. What's the what first thing you say to God? And he was like, "Well, at least I tried." He's, he's, he has he's, tried, and that is fair. <laughs> if there's one thing you can say about Cage. Irrespective of opinion, God loves a trier, and my God, you see a trier. Um, but I suppose my other question to you is: um, you know, have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and beaten until you pissed blood? I will think about this just in case there is a time that I'm missing. But I think no. I think I guess the closest it was was I was dragged to a garden and beaten until I pissed blood. But I don't think that's a yes to your question. You didn't even you didn't even try to answer the question, Laws. I thought you were I thought you were different from all the other riffraff I get on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought you were a notch above the uh, the riff, but uh, you know it's all pretense and bluster, isn't it, with you spicy cage boys? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's that, there's that bit in the pharmacy where he's screaming to get his medicines. He's yeah. like, have you heard of lines? And he's like, have you been dragged to the sidewalk and beat until you piss blood? Um, which no, it's I... a great it's a great scene. And also, I what, again, that was a really nice part because he apologizes in that for his behavior. And there's like there's that there is that sadness to it and that reality to the performance. And again, I don't know how accurate it is. I don't have OCD myself, but uh, it's. A bit we like, oh good, there's like a humanity to that. He's being a real arsehole here, he's being super aggressive, but then he dials it back and you're like, oh, he's got that awareness to it as well and he's aware of what is happening to him. Mm, absolutely. I don't know if you're allowed to be like, it's okay to, as long as you say sorry, you're allowed to threaten to beat the shit out of anyone. I mean, that's how you get out of a lot of scrapes, you just apologise quickly. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think a lot of people are going to be th- threatening, dragging to sidewalks and pissing blood in this uh, post-Brexit world we're hurtling, <laughs> hurtling towards. Um, but yeah, I think just to sort of look at uh, coming towards the end of this uh, this 2003 odyssey we found ourselves in, mm. I think um, Roger Ebert, the, the sort of the late great film reviewer, one of the great defenders of Cage, uh, who gave this film four out of four stars, he he even recommended Cage for an Oscar nomination um and i think this is this is a cage film that is um i guess when you're trying to push to a non-cage fan what some good cage films are i think this is this is one that's easy to miss and it's one for me um you know i would give it in an award that means nothing a golden cage of my own interesting Um, i i would rate it um you know i guess in the jerry springer-esque way you're your final thoughts, Stuart Laws, on um, Matchstick Men? I'd say five bunnies out of five. I get that reference. Um, and I think, to say no more about it, it's, it's, it's Ridley Scott's first or second best film. It's in Cage's top ten. And it is a film starring Nicolas Cage. Agreed. Agreed. And guess this, because you know where I'm going with things. You've already worked it out. Agreed again, Stuart Laws. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I thought I think, that's where you're going. Actually, I, th- I think I think we figured each other out. It took an hour. Yeah. 
but I think I think we, we got know there. where both of us ahead did. I th- with this last last pod paragraph paragraph ah. like to, like two peas in a dirty pod. But yes. um, <laughs> Stuart, um, sincerely, uh, thank you for taking the time to join me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana. Wrapping up, uh, where can we find you? And let's be honest, your insight and your wisdom. Where can we find mm. all that on the socials? I don't. I would say don't. Don't, because I will, if you come after me, I will come after you harder and faster than you ever imagined. <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave me be. Stop <laughs> hassling me. What is this? Okay. Is that what you wanted? Uh, I didn't realise you were reading uh, your response to the first Twitter DM I sent you, but um, <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted. I may or may not post links in the uh, description, otherwise Stuart will find If someone you. really wants to uh, go online and ch- have a little search, if you manage to find me, well done. <laughs> I'm not going to make it easy for you. I've got, from a couple of viral threads, some absolute idiots following me and so now all of my social media is trying to wheedle out the people who aren't actual fans of the mania the mania i put out so i'm not just going to give it up for free you think i'm going to come <laughs> and be like yeah here's how you follow me no i want to make sure you know what you're getting in for and you've got to put some effort in if you want to follow me i'm not going to hand out for free because you're just going to be disappointed i want true fans only true fans only and that's all we can ask for on the journey to true cage nirvana True yeah. Cage fans, True Law fans, we don't do poses here. No. We don't do poses. I ain't having and, any of that. And as far as Stuart's concerned, I'm I'm the king of this pile of shit heaps he calls fans. Um and I'm and I'm I'm stinking the joint up. He's furious, he's flipping yeah. me off on the zoom. Yeah. Um and I've got any- exactly that sentence written down in in a sealed envelope right here. <laughs> I can't believe it. You actually did say it, and there's a dad over there right now whispering about how I just did that. I noticed the laser pointer behind you as well on the wall. Cat's going wild. He's ah, done shit. it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I said it before, I said it during, and I said it again. Stuart Laws has done it again. And what a pleasure it has been for him to do it live for me, but pre-recorded for you, you losers, yeah. on yeah. this podcast but th- thank you again for Stuart for joining me. You've hated every second of it. I've loved it. Uh, but thank you for listening, if you have been. Hopefully we'll see you in the next one. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Take care and goodbye. <laughs>